0: Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy.
1: And I am Zach. And this week, we respond to listener questions covering topics and questions about tune-up races, routines, training priorities, and more. And stick around after that for the latest from the world of running, including a new fastest marathon debut, outdoor track season heating up, and a world record attempt. Mm. And to find out how that went, you're going to need to keep listening. (laughs) Now, remember, the most important thing that you should be doing right now, if you haven't already, is going to adzrunning.com to click the word follow because it's free and then you won't miss any of the great stuff
0: yeah and one of the places we like to post content is instagram and i had the privilege privilege of meeting one of you one of our listeners liz at rivertown races and it was great to be able to actually see her in real life so if you see us at races or events feel free to come on over and say hi we'd love to meet you well that wasn't all about liz because she also listened to the episode about glutes last week and she posted on Instagram, as I was running this weekend, my legs would get tired and I would think to myself, are my glutes firing properly or am I making my hamstrings do the work? It's amazing how the physical change I could feel just by being conscious of which muscles I should be using. So thank you, Liz, for that comment on Instagram. And then I'm so glad that you found last week's episode with Betsy really helpful. That's all about glutes. So if you haven't listened, feel free to go on back. And again, congratulations to Liz on her PR. It was a 19-minute half-marathon PR at Rivertown Races. So extra congrats and shout-out to you.
1: Impressive stuff for sure. That's great. And good to chat with you.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, remember, if you have any questions about training or anything related to running – from A to Z, <laughs> send them our way to a to com, and we'll feature it next time. So this episode is all about the things that you ask and wanna know about running.
1: Let's get started. As noted, questions from all of you, this is our favorite thing to do. So keep <laughs> those questions coming, we love answering them. And And I just thought, well, you might not like our answers but that's okay. You don't have to like them. We just enjoy it. All right. So from Mark in Michigan, this was a great question. Um, and, and I was glad for a chance to respond to him in email as well, but wanted to lay out the details for you all here and respond as well. So the question involves a fair bit of context and I want to share that first so that we get some clarity here. So Mark shared, I am currently training for my first marathon. Congrats, Mark. Mm -hmm. Hope it goes well. He said, I am 53, have been running consistently for about three years now. Mentioned kind of like about 1,500 miles a year and a little before that as well, but certainly the last three years more consistently. I'm currently following the Hanson's Marathon Plan for Beginners, okay? So many of you are familiar with Hanson's plans. And so that's one that some will be able to relate to as he shares. Um, his goal is 350 for the marathon. And let me go back to first person for Mark. <laughs> and I have been hitting the training criteria for the first time, uh, This time, he said, according to the plan. And then he made a uh, funny comment about how Zach loves pace targets. (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. he's being facetious. I've never heard of pace targets. What a strange (laughs) phrase. I plan to run the Riverbank run. That's a 25K this year, which is two weeks before the marathon. I have no intention of trying to run fast. So it's not a thought about like a major goal race at the 25K. Um, But love the race. Want to participate. Enjoy the social aspect. Mm -hmm. All that stuff. So this is now where the questions begin. Uh, The weekend before the Riverbank, the plan calls for a 16-mile run. And the weekend of Riverbank, the plan says 10-mile run. Riverbank is a 25K race. and so It's about um, 15 miles. So, yes, thinking about that. Then we start to ask two two questions from Mark here. Should I run a little shorter distance the week before Riverbank? It says 16. He's asking, should I run 12-ish or something? Um, So I'm not doing the same run two weeks in a row. Or will it not really matter? And then the second question, what are your thoughts on Riverbanks pace or effort specifically in that race itself being two weeks before the marathon? So those two questions now that context all matters. And here's why. Because the question about how long to go and how hard to go is entirely dependent on what you've been doing in training. Mm -hmm. All right. So now. Understanding Hanson's, and especially understanding the Hanson's beginner marathon plan, we're talking about a marathon plan that has you doing long runs up to 16 miles, pretty much for the most part. Um, You're not doing much longer than that. We already know from studying Hanson's that they believe that longer long runs in general are often detrimental, and so they very rarely recommend long runs beyond 16 miles for any marathoners. Um, Certainly a strange thing in their readings because then when you start to talk to their pro runners, they're all doing stuff way faster and longer than that but that's There's a different just so much new so when so you're just nuance. like
0: generally yep. advising people he, they probably are going more towards the conservative yeah event. certainly
1: the the plan you're going to buy in their book is going to suggest long runs that aren't c- quite as long as other things you find out there so now part of the reason is because of the effort too so they, their efforts on their long runs are not necessarily like super minimal or slow you're doing efforts of more of a normal if not faster or harder so that's a question two now riverbank is a 15 mile race so this is where it becomes important 15 miles is very nearly the longest run that you're running mark for the entire structure of this cycle as a consequence it has a significantly greater training effect and recovery need than if you say we're regularly running 20 or 22 miles so the first answer here is is it safe to run a 15 mile run two weeks before the marathon Probably in this case, because you have been running long runs around that distance for a while, Um, but only if the effort is low. So that's the initial thing. Like, can I can I cover the distance? Sure. Fine. I don't think it's a problem. Um, He asked if he should do it two weekends in a row, like 16 and then 15. And that goes back to it's probably fine in many instances because you're training for a marathon. It's probably a good thing to do that as long as the effort isn't too high because you don't wanna put yourself like you're running hard two weeks before a marathon for a long time. Um, so then that, that is his second part of the question. So what kind of effort should I do? And in this instance, Mark, you gotta go easy. <laughs> two weeks before a marathon, your longest or very nearly your longest run of the schedule should not be a strong effort, almost of any kind. Um now, as I was responding to Mark, we were discussing the nuance a little bit further, and my comment to him was, if you were adapted to running strong efforts of like, let's say twelve or thirteen miles, you know something close to this twenty five k, you've been doing a lot of that, and you've been doing long runs of twenty or twenty two miles here and there, or let's say not maybe not twenty or twenty two miles, but you've been doing long runs of sixteen to eighteen miles regularly. Um, then could you handle a fifteen mile run at a little bit stronger effort? Yes. As long as it's not maximum effort, you can't be draining the well or anything, but two weeks is enough time to recover from a run that you're well adapted to Mm -hmm. both in duration and effort, not a run that you are not well
0: adapted Mm. to. A couple key things to consider in this question. One is that he knew which race he wanted to target as his goal race. That was crucial. So as you're thinking about your own process in deciding what to do for race efforts, consider that as well. So... Mm. Good job, Mark. Knowing which one you wanted to highlight and knowing that it needed to be a priority, because having these kinds of conversations can't happen with your coach or looking at your own plans if you don't know what your goals are. Mark said he wanted to have fun, and you know he wants to obviously gear towards bait or uh, whatever his marathon is, and um, he needs to be able to look at the the Riverbanker on that 25k and say, how am I going to have a lot of fun? do a good job and feel good about this race, but still not uh, risk anything in my goal race. So Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I thought that was a, a good consideration for Mark to be able to share that. Excellent
1: question, Mark. Appreciate that. And so questions like that, this is where, again, it comes back to And this is why we ask you to share context. We That specific detail that we had from Mark is what helps us respond to a question like that. You could have the exact same situation as Mark with a different context surrounding it and we would give you a different answer. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: ask away. Yeah, love
0: we love those kinds of questions.
1: Next up is from Amanda in Michigan.
0: Yes, so she wrote this to us. I feel like I hear a lot about great, a lot of great things that I should be doing while I'm already in the midst of training and I'm not sure I should add any more new routines and then I forget about it. I start, um, sorry, I start off training for a new cycle Because if your brain doesn't determine an urgent need for that information, it doesn't always stick. Mm -hmm. So what I'm understanding from what Amanda is saying, it's like I'm in the middle of season. I hear these all these great things, all these great routines, these strength things I should be doing. But I am drained in the middle of the season and I don't have the bandwidth to add something new on top of the load that I'm doing or the intensity I'm moving into. And then in the off season not really seeing that as a time to start building which that's what i'm going to tell you amanda that is the best time to begin new routines is when you are getting back into training when the intensity and the volume is low beginning out again and you do have the energy to create those new habits
1: i think she also was indicating that she's forgetting by the time she gets to that point Uh she has forgotten about those good things so of course the first response there amanda is your coach should definitely be helping you with that. And if you don't have a coach, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, well, I'm not kidding. But yes, these are the kinds of things where there's so much to have to keep in mind and try to have to create a sense of like ideal structures for every period of time. And that's what Andy's getting at. The best period of time for adding or adjusting routines, the best period of time for some of the ancillary work is in fact the downtime in between major training periods. Mm-hmm. And you want, and why is an important question there, Amanda, because you're asking the question as if I shouldn't probably make changes now. And you're probably right. If you're four weeks out from a race, or if you're right in the middle of a substantial training period, that's not generally a good time to change a lot of things. Maybe a few Nuance. things, yeah, small, you things can, yeah, yeah. small things, or just slowly injecting something new gradually is, is okay. But when we're trying to make those changes, we should be uh, significant changes. We should be doing that during those in between times yeah Um, and there's
0: two reasons for that yes one is that you are developing these new habits, which do take more energy and once they are habits, it takes less energy to actually do it, like mental energy. We talked about that in an episode and all the science behind habits and forming these good habits. The second reason that you want to do them and start these new routines before is that when you're starting those foundations, you're building all those blocks that allow for you to do a healthy training cycle. So it is imperative actually to do your running correctly and to be firing correctly so that when you begin your cycle, you start off on a great foot
1: exactly that so amanda your problem here is not that you don't know that there are things you could be doing your problem here is that you forget about them when you should be doing them mm-hmm. according to your question so i would advise you very directly here to make note of any time you hear of something like oh that's something i think i need or something that seems to be missing from my schedule make note of that and start to build for yourself have a single piece of paper or digitally somewhere if you do digitally notes um Have a single spot where you're going to continue to make note of some of these things and build for yourself some clarity on here's some stuff that I've noticed I'm missing over time and here's when the best time to implement them. Mm -hmm. And then you'll also find, because Amanda, you clearly are one who attends to these things and wants to try to grow them, um, you're going to find that there's an infinite amount of things that you could be doing. To address all of these, you know, this stuff you're going to constantly hear. And especially if you're on like something like Instagram, um, RPT often mentions, Adam Homolka mentions, uh, how you could, if you did it right, you could learn everything that you need to know to be a physical therapist by following a handful of people on Instagram, because there's so much good information out there, right? His point is that people are sharing all this great detail and information. Um, but You could follow one person on instagram and find a hundred different ways to do a leg strength routine from that one person it's overwhelming (laughs) and now you've discovered the problem which is i need to then prioritize what i do and how much of it i do and and things like that so that's why i say keep track of this stuff because then when it comes time to implement and adjust things you're starting to build for yourself like a um a a prioritized list of what i do and when i do it Mm -hmm especially with stuff that's not the running side, Mm because that's that's hard to keep track of.
0: Yeah, and thank you, Amanda, for asking this question, because further in the message to me, you were saying that you thought maybe a lot of other runners could benefit from thinking about doing this before um, a goal season, per se. So uh, thank you for that insight and then also bringing that to us.
1: Excellent. Well, the next one here is from Rob in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And Rob asking a question in particular about um, priorities in training. And we Mm -hmm. always like these kinds of questions. However, um, there's, there's two ways to answer every kind of question like this. The first is like the general, here's what everyone should be thinking about. And we certainly are always happy to say that. But the second and the more important one is based off of your situation, your needs and goals, and the different nuances involved, we're naturally going to have to adjust this response. And so, we're going to do two things because rob didn't give us a ton of context detail but enough at least to give something practical here mm-hmm. um and so the the context before andy provides for us uh response is training for the marathon if we could give essentially what are the two most important runs of the week what would they be
0: yeah so we have to think about a couple of things here, and we talk about these things a lot here at A to Z Running, but you need the musculoskeletal resi- resilience. And so that is very, very important, meaning that your long run, it's not only for your aerobic fitness, but it's also important that volume's important in order to build that musculoskeletal strength.
1: You don't want to break covering 26 miles. And naturally for all of us, something breaks because you're always breaking down and that's a long distance to race. So you're going to experience breakdown, but you wanna have as little of that as possible. And the thing that is going to create as little breakdown as possible as far as the highest priority is long run. Mm
0: -hmm. I loved on our episode about speed, strength, or endurance with Kate Grace, how she calls the time that they're building strength phase.
1: Well, it is. Yes. Because system strength and leg strength.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So thinking about what do you need to be able to run the marathon? Well, you have to be able to go the distance. That's number one. So your long runs are very important. You're getting a lot of adaptations from your long run. And then also steady state runs, I think are imperative. You can do a lot with steady state runs.
1: And that being the kind of like sustained strong effort running over some given distance. Uh, Lydia always recommended an hour for everyone, like regardless of your ability level. Um, and I think that that's a good barometer to go by. Certainly there are times where you could do longer and shorter, but an hour is a good steady state run.
0: Yeah. So do you want to describe steady state? Well, okay, sure. So <laughs>
1: this is this is one of those that um, it, it has left running vernacular more so in recent decades, but used to be just a very commonplace concept. And so a steady state is uh one of those vague terms. It's not not a specific range of effort. Um it's a general range of effort. And what it is then is somewhere between you're no longer running easy, but you're not running like race caliber effort. So if you were doing an hour race, which for many of us is somewhere between like 10k and 10 miles. It's somewhere in that window, right? Um so if you're doing an hour race effort, then Steady state would have to be substantially easier than what you could do if you're going all out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, where we start to get into weird nuances is people often talk about steady state as if it's marathon race pace, which I don't know what that means. Race pace—that's what a weird term to say in training. No one, no one trains by paces. That's crazy.
0: But, Again, he is being facetious. But
1: <laughs> the point there is marathon race pace is a concept that exists in a moment in time, not in a training. Uh, stimulus and so it could exist in a training stimulus but it shouldn't and more specifically um, you're not running a marathon when you're running an hour and you're not in the same fitness in training that you want to be when you're racing your marathon later on and so you shouldn't try to run a steady state run at a fixed pace based off a future goal that doesn't make a lot of sense as far as trying to get the training stimulus that you want so you do the steady state run based off of Um, a sustained strong effort that's stronger than easy running, but certainly you could continue going longer than an hour. You're not maxing yourself out at an hour. Mm -hmm. The other thing here, and this is an important question because I just recently asked my coach Barry about this exact concept because he was telling me to run a steady run uh, at one point of an hour. And then shortly after that, he was talking about running a steady run for 35 kilometers which is going to take me a lot longer than an hour and so that's about 22 miles and so then he says um i so i ask him i'm like okay well can you articulate for me and this is not necessarily me asking because i didn't have an answer to it it's me asking because i want to hear how barry explains the answer to this um what is what's the difference in terms of how i should put out effort in those two runs And his whole point was it's all based on the distance or at least the duration, the time or the distance. And so steady effort for an hour is harder than steady effort for 22 miles. You can't run the same effort for both of those and have it be the same kind of training stimulus, obviously. So his answer was it depends on the duration and that's how you apply it. So a steady effort has to be stronger than easy and slower than race caliber effort and so race caliber effort for 22 miles is basically marathon effort right because it's almost the same distance Um, and so a steady effort for 22 miles has to be slower than marathon has to be otherwise it's not a steady effort by definition but for an hour it could be faster than marathon effort it could be not to suggest that it is because again, it isn't for me it's a window
0: (laughs) (laughs) right isn't just that just that perspective?
1: <laughs> I, this is I love talking about this kind there of I stuff know. in training because it's just Great. not straightforward. And it's so valuable when we come to understand the heart of the thing we're trying to mm-hmm. do. And we really feel like we can grasp that in training like it's, it's liberating. It is,
0: it is. And one of our goals at A to Z running and one of the goals for our athletes is to develop intuitive runners because we think we can get the most out of ourselves when we become intuitive runners and understand why we are doing the things we are doing, how to listen and respond to our bodies and Mm -hmm. what they're, what it's telling us. So intuitive running steady state grows that in us as we, as we train doing steady efforts.
1: Indeed that. Now, back to Rob's question. Yes. So, Rob, you wanted to know for a marathon, the two most important runs of the week. Those two are in fact the most important runs of the week as Lydiard used to say, um we should just run long runs every day except we can't. We'd break down. So, obviously that point is that's the most important one. Um for a marathoner. That's not necessarily true for other distances of races, for all periods of training, and it's not necessarily true for every moment in your training cycle either. And the reason we say that is because, Rob, if you're three weeks out from your race, the marathon's no longer the or the long run's no longer the most important run of the week. So <laughs> ask us in the specific context yeah. you're talking about. But in general, yes. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And I do want to mention, too, that let's say those are the, the two things you want to focus on in a training cycle. Maybe you want to build cycle on cycle. And this is the first one that you're doing. And so you really want to hone in. On uh, raising that aerobic ceiling. Well, I also do think it's extremely important to inject that neuromuscular activity. So if you're doing fartleks or strides, or please do both. um But I, I'm just saying, in general, we need to be able to get that neuromuscular activation to be able to run properly and to engage properly, and then also doing those drills as well. So in in addition to those <laughs> so, two things, so Andy's
1: answer is everything.
0: <laughs> but I mean, those are the two most uh, important workouts. But if you could throw in strides and fartleks, that would be fantastic
1: yeah and no n- no one is likely asking us this question because they're only trying to run two days a week i'm, I'm certainly not yeah. suggesting people don't only have time to run two days a week but um rob's question is simply if i this have most to make yeah. yeah if i have to make sacrifices in a given week what are the things i don't sacrifice yeah. as much as others and that that makes sense now here's where the here's where the shtick hits what andy just said so if i'm doing the same thing every week and i have to make the same sacrifice every week now I changed the answer because if I am doing just long runs and steadies and I'm never doing any kind of neuromuscular work and fartlicks and such, then I would say go every other week or maybe every third week and take the steady out and do a fart lick instead. Because again, <laughs> these things are not that straightforward, uh, but we we can get there. We can get there, Rob, with your long runs and your steady runs. Absolutely. Right. Now the final question that we have time for today is uh, more of kind of like a general question um, that we get a lot. There's a specific person asking it in this instance, but for the sake of uh, like health privacy, we are not going to address that specific person's question. So uh, this question from everyone or anonymous um, is training through illness. Naturally, because of COVID, many have been wondering about this in a more precise situation um, because you know, can I even train through something like COVID? Should I? And, and all of those questions. So we've gotten that a lot from many of you from some of our own athletes in terms of like, if I have any kind of illness, how do I respond to that in my training? Um, and so here's, here's the way we answer this. And this is thoroughly nuanced. Once again, we do not claim to have studied COVID or its ramifications on running. And so as a consequence, don't take us as health authorities on anything we say. Exactly. Uh, but we do have some general perspectives that we want to apply in any of these kinds of situations First, and not
0: just COVID, all <laughs> sickness,
1: all sickness, right? First, if it's a respiratory illness, be very careful, be
0: careful <laughs>
1: because respiratory illnesses tend to worsen by uh hard activity. Um, and it, and it becomes harder to fight them off. And that's not true for all of them necessarily, but it seems to be the case as far as what we've observed and anything we've read about it. So if it's respiratory, um, especially if it's in your lungs and like it's coughing and things like that or trouble breathing, some of that kind of stuff, be very careful about any kind of activity. Um, the other side of this is if you're fighting any kind of virus, the early stages of the virus, when it's at its most uh, virulent, Is that the word that you use with viruses Um, well but yes when it's replicating at its at its most aggressive state um and your body has not yet started to get a handle on that um, rest is the most important thing rest and hydration are the most important things at that stage and so if i have to like lose sleep to try to get a run in don't do it it doesn't matter if it's a severe virus or not give yourself a couple days to get extra rest extra hydration get all the good nutrition um that's really important. So mm-hmm. at any time any of our runners say hey I'm I'm not feeling so great um you know maybe take a couple of days off. No matter mm-hmm. what it is just give yourself a couple days at least. Yeah. And then depending on what it is beyond that it may you know it right. may change.
0: Like if it's feeling very mild or mm-hmm. you're further along and you want to jog that's great but always consider that your body is having to fight this illness. And so if you put yourself under stress, it's just going to take you longer to recover. So easy running, easy, easy running. You don't want to add further stress onto your system. That's going to make it harder for you to recover. But then also you're probably not going to get great adaptations either. So it's really not, it's, it's not a winning situation. So jogging.
1: So that's the next. Yeah, that's the next kind of phase in the approach is if you can handle activity and it's not like, you know, respiratory and you're just coughing terribly every time you try to move, um, then some light jogging of up to an hour, maybe like duration and effort have to be low. Um, Some very light jogging can in fact be recuperative, depending on the nature of the illness. Um, If you have influenza, I wouldn't do this while you're feverish and such wouldn't try to go out and jog. but there's a lot of conversation like, you know, I've got I've got this head cold and it's like this just this lingering sinus sinus issue and it's not going away. Um, a lot of the time, especially when it's something like sinuses, it can, in fact, help you feel better to do a little bit of light activity. So we know that that can be the case. But at the same time, you um, it has to be light, and, and we have to be able to monitor the degree of severity uh, in our illness. And so we do recommend, as we're talking with runners in general of what they have, when you have mild symptoms of something and it's not worsened by activity, you know it's not like some kind of severe virus that is you know, potentially very dangerous, dangerous – um, that we tend to recommend a little bit of light activity. But you have to then respond to how you feel. So I go out and I do a 30 minute jog. This happened uh, earlier when I was sick back in the winter. I went out and I did a 30 minute jog thinking, you know, I'll just do some light jogging. I felt terrible afterward, like a bus had hit me in 30 minutes of light jogging. And keep in mind the nature of my training surrounding that was fairly substantial. So 30 minutes shouldn't have been hard for me at all. Now, Because of that, I said, I need a couple days off. (laughs) I am not doing this again for a few days. So I took four days straight off. um, And the only reason I started jogging again after those four days is because I had had an entire day where I felt basically normal. So then I said, okay, tomorrow I'll try to jog Mm -hmm. again. Um, and I did, and I didn't feel badly after the jog anymore. As a matter of fact, I felt a little bit better after jogging than before. And that's what told me that it was good to try a little bit of light activity again. And each day that I did, I was feeling a little bit better. So I was moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Now that all is dependent upon the individual situation. Right. So when we get the question like, I'm not feeling great. And so, um, you know, I gotta, I I gotta take some time off and everything. Um, that's always the best initial thing. Mm Mm-hmm and then we kind of go from there. Mm
0: -hmm. Lots of considerations and great questions from all of you. We appreciate you reaching out with your training and running questions, so thanks.
1: Keep them coming. Yes, please. Because we're gonna do this again in just a few weeks at the end of the next month. They're always the end of the month, and so if you've got a question on your mind, the best time to ask it is now, so that Mm -hmm. you get yourself on the queue for the next time around. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's get on to the world of running. Well, before we get into the specifics of the world of running, let's talk about some A to Z runners performing well, certainly at Rivertown Races, which was a series of different events. Thanks to Andrew and the crew for putting that on. Um, We had a number of athletes performing there, Zach Namely, with a big PR, finishing Mm -hmm. fourth overall, which was it took a significant final, uh, mile to catch a few people too. Just what a, what a race, what was a performance. It was awesome. It was so so big half marathon PR for Zach. Congrats, Zach. Mm-hmm. That's always really exciting. Nick won his age group in the 10 K 26th ish overall. I can't, I wrote it down and then I'm like, I, I, I got to look that up again and never did. So Nick, I know that it was 25th or 26th. I can't remember which one. So uh finishing in his first age group win yeah, that he's accomplished congrats. And so congrats nick on that too exciting stuff pete also ran and it was not a day where he was trying to go all out and so he just had a good strong effort trying to be responsive to the day mm-hmm. before a marathon coming up soon so nice work pete always good to get those efforts in and then in the trails side of the conversation kathy going out and storming the hurt the dirt mm-hmm. trail race finishing fourth in age group yeah congrats kathy trails are crazy so glad you <laughs> were able to endure that and then at glass city marathon lewis paced, which uh, is by itself something that always amazes me because you know you've basically got to put the sign on your shoulders kind of literally and then be able to hold and, and help people out all around yeah. you and so Great for Lewis. Thank you for doing that for others as well.
0: And Zach also ran Rivertown races. He I did. He I won. did as well. Mm-hmm.
1: And now let's talk about Yahuala.
0: Yahuala. She ran the fastest debut in the world's history in the marathon, and she ran a blazing two seventeen twenty three in Hamburg. Wow, that's a crazy debut.
1: So. If you've never run a marathon before and you start thinking to yourself, I'm going to run a marathon. And then you wonder, I wonder how fast I can do it. She's the first person who started thinking, maybe I'll just run 217.
0: (laughs) This does not come as a surprise, though. This was anticipated. We didn't know how fast she was going to go, but the world was kind of waiting to see what she was going to do in the marathon because she is the half marathon uh, record holder no second no? second i'm sorry yep.
1: uh but she would have been the record holder if, if not for uh let and Bet-Gadé beating her in that oh. same race yeah yep. so yep. she broke that's why More we always say it now. this way she broke the previous world record but she did it behind the person who won the race. So yes, um having run the second fastest all time, half marathon, but the record that Andy was trying to articulate there uh is the ten kilometer.
0: Okay, so she won she record. has the ten kilometer world record she did in twenty nine fourteen. She had that in February and her half marathon best is one oh three fifty one. So mm-hmm. yes, second all time. So we were looking forward to seeing what Ho- Yawala would do in the marathon, and this time is unbelievable. Yeah, all yeah. of the other marathoners should be shaken in their boots a little bit. <laughs> well, so I mean, they're they're you know racing oh, shoes. Well, uh, not they're probably boots. not racing in
1: boots. Um, so this is what always really interesting. And any of the uh, the standard conversion uh, calculators that you're going to use, if someone runs twenty nine fourteen and then one hundred three fifty that person definitely can run 217 by just the objective measures. Um, but we know that the marathon does not always produce the result that, quote, can be produced. And it goes both directions because you have plenty of marathoners like Bridget Koske, for example, who runs a super fast marathon, but doesn't necessarily have the times in shorter distances that match that marathon time. Um, if In case you're curious, another one is Elliot Kipchoge. His shorter distances are nowhere near the level of his marathon times. Um, so as a consequence is it because people can some people are more adapted to handling the marathon distance better than other people and as a consequence it you know it looks differently. But anyway, I'm only saying that because when people saw that she was finally going to run a marathon, everyone was like she can definitely go fast. But how fast? You don't know exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if the conditions would produce that too, the previous fastest ever women's marathon debut time was Paula Radcliffe in a time of 2:18:56.
1: Which is saying something because that was 20 years ago.
0: And she was the world record holder. Yes. So, I mean, Paula Radcliffe to be able to hit her debut <laughs> is is great. She is breaking the stuff of legends. And that performance that Huala did this weekend was sixth on the Women's World Marathon all time list. Mm. So let's remind you, Bridget, Bridget Cause Guy, <laughs> she has the world record in 214.04 set in 2019.
1: Now, being sixth all-time and yet third fastest this, this year. So fast marathon times are happening, and they're happening in quite a bit, but uh, not usually on your first one. <laughs> <But>.
0: Right. <laughs> and that's why we do the World of Running segment is because we are living in times where we're seeing these world records happen, and we want you to be part of that a history in the making.
1: Yeah, especially because you know chances are the next time we're going to see a period like this is when some – other substantial technology technology innovation happens. Um, And so it's always exciting to be able to experience that when it's happening Mm -hmm. in real time. Um, Well, speaking of some interesting, let's, let's go to number two here, the outdoor track season. Uh, We've got a couple different things to articulate. Um, And when we think about like outdoor track and many of you being road runners, uh, one of the things that we love so much about track is like, that's the, that's the way to be able to spectate the full experience of running Um, because road racing you just don't get to like you can't see hardly anything when you're watching races because if you're spectating on the course then you're really just seeing a couple of glimpses right Mm -hmm. if you're watching the live feed you're seeing just the people in the front or occasional zoom outs with their drones or something Um, but the track you see the whole race Mm -hmm. every runner and you get to kind of observe everything that's happening so that's part of why, as we start to talk about, like, we just love track so much. Part of it is just being able to experience it in a more full sense. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, let's get on because the world championships in track this summer are on United States mm-hmm. soil. Is it for the first time? Yeah, I can't, for the first time. I keep trying to remember. It is. For the first yes. time.
0: Hayward Field. They've had the
1: Olympics in the U.S., you know that. But the world championships for world athletics has never happened on U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. So Hayward Field, the new and improved, fully redesigned. It's going to be exciting yes. as a consequence. We really want to pay close attention to what people are doing on the track.
0: Yeah, and it, it really is just underway. This is the beginnings of the track season, so to speak.
1: Early days still. Early definitely. days.
0: Hobbs Kessler, who you know on this podcast, he was the fi- fast high schooler, signed pro, lives in <laughs> just Michigan. skipped the
1: college career thing. He
0: trains like in Michigan with Nick Willis, and he made his outdoor debut at the Jesse Owens Classic. He ran strong, but was edged out by veteran Ben Flanagan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hobbs ran three fifty, sorry, three forty five point oh six, and Flanagan three forty four point nine eight. So close race with the young guy Very and the veteran much
1: edged out. <laughs> nice. Okay. And then,
0: yeah. We'll keep on the the young inner out and talk about collegiate Caitlin Toohy. She ran 15-14.61 at the Virginia Classic. Whoa, that's eighth NCAA all time. Caitlin Toohy is one of those runners that was being watched under a microscope om- almost because she's such a fast high schooler. Then coming into college, she has performed really well under high pressure and even has progressed in a way that it really has our eyes on her for you know looking at. Who's going to be the best in the U.S.? The, she's the on her way who? there.
1: <laughs> well, and there was a lot of um, cynicism around her because, like with almost every great high school athlete, the first year of college tends to be a bit of a kind of shakeup adjustment. Up. Yeah. yeah, and so she, like people were like, "Oh, she's just not performing to expectations." It's like, what? What Give are your expectations? <laughs> That's yeah. You're, are you crazy? <laughs> what were uh, you
0: doing at 18 years old? <laughs> oh goodness.
1: Yeah. Well. So yeah. anyway, but uh, she's been there though. She's been dialed in. She's maybe she wasn't improving the way people kept saying she should have been but now she is clearly they were just
0: and this is very typical changing coaches changing how you train takes a while to see the fruition of that work and then a thing mo she ran the 800 first time since 2021 pre-classic she ran 202.07 and people are like giving her a hard time but the fact of the matter is it's very early first of all she won by over three seconds yeah. so she didn't have pressure at the end so it's not it's not a concern
1: no not at all i mean listen if i'm a thing most coach i'm telling her to not go crazy right now in races at all um specifically like just run hard and and feel comfortable and so for a you know world class 800 runner to run 202 in what is definitely not an all-out effort there's no way she's trying to run all out in in april and win so and, and she's and win winning by, by seconds. three seconds so like yeah uh, that's actually a really good sign yeah. that, that she can just show up and do that in a pretty low-key effort i'm i'm good for that yep. yeah
0: and the reason why we bring it up again is to help us understand what goes on in the sport of track and to keep you updated with insights well there's more on track the organ relays happened this past weekend and you know how we love the steeplechase here on the a to z running podcast we do Mason Frerik run ran the third all time in the world this year in the three thousand meters needles <laughs> I'm having a hard time speaking. Three thousand meter we'll <laughs> steeple chase in a time of eight twenty three point nine two. So that's a that's really great opener.
1: Yeah. Um now it, once again people were trying to cast shade because they're like number three in the world in April. That doesn't mean anything. Most people haven't raced yet. Um and of course it doesn't mean anything like in terms of the grand scheme of track and field but it's pretty impressive to open up in an 823 anyway so take aside the number three in the world thing that was a great performance yeah, by mason absolutely. and he's definitely feeling good about it too there's no doubt about that and his That's last name's
0: Furlick. i was just totally t- trying tongue-tied. to go with
1: courtney there for a <laughs> moment yeah. Um so yes now mm-hmm the last one here this is
0: really interesting (laughs) this is really
1: interesting now i wanted to give some context before and and i'm actually uh giving a little bit of a spoiler here Uh, but we mentioned like record-breaking uh times these days in running and that certainly is true um especially as it were uh in distant stuff but one of the interesting things is that occasionally you you come across something that has been around for like 40, 50 years. And people are like, wait, hang on a second. How has no one broken that record? Like, it's just an interesting reflection how it's just that's still there somehow. Um, And yet, it doesn't mean it's easy to break a record just because it's 40 years old. And this is a good example of that.
0: So some pro organ runners went for the four by mile record.
1: All right. This is one of my favorite things. The four by mile relay is awesome, but it takes... Four world class people. World class running world class performance at the same time on a team. Yeah. In order to put things together here.
0: So it was Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker, James West, and Matthew Wisner, and they attempted to run faster than fifteen minutes forty nine seconds. And that was set, like Zach alluded to, way back when in Ireland in nineteen eighty five.
1: In Ireland, which you in know so Ireland. like it's
0: in nineteen eighty five. Do you want me right. to say that again? <laughs> to just kinda like wrap that wrap your brain around it. So and we've 15... had so many great runners in history, you know, since then, but that was all the fastest over the world. four yeah. by mile time.
1: Well that's just it. So fifteen forty nine means that the runners are averaging three fifty uh sorry, three fifty seven and change for all four of them. because um, they gotta get they've gotta shave eleven seconds off of the four minute average and so as a consequence you, you think can we get four people who can run 357 yeah there's definitely four people can you get them the to do it at time. the same time on the same day yeah um, and willing to do it like as a team and that's why it's just a very rare thing to see happen yeah. well these guys can
0: yeah they certainly just they're capable this weekend
1: but and they wah, missed wah, it
0: unfortunately barely yeah they ran the second fastest time ever in the history of the world as a team in 1552.05 but here's kind of like the, the sad news of it. Even if they would have been successful, successful, it wouldn't have been official because they're not all from the same country.
1: And once again, we get into what makes these things difficult. So, you, in fact, to be given a record in order to be called a relay team, you have to be of the same yeah. country so they're from the
0: you know they're from great britain and they're three yeah, out of the americans four. three out of
1: the four were us but yep. uh certainly and so why did they do it in the first place well because it's fun
0: and they're alum i think they're all uh ducks well former, they're all from oregon yeah so, former uh oregon you know, yeah that helps just yeah, it's just a cool thing kind of cool yeah. kind of cool they could do it together
1: side note and an interesting fact when things just go full circle the Agent who represents both Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker also happens to be one of the Irish of the 1985 world record team. Mm -hmm.
0: So Ray Flynn.
1: (laughs) Ray Flynn is their agent and Mm -hmm. also was on that team. So it's just kind of funny where it's like, okay, so clearly there was some just interest in, hey, let's just, let's see if we can do this thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So, right, I didn't realize this, but all of them are coached by. Uh, associate associate head coach ben thomas at At oregon Mm -hmm. oregon all right and he brought the idea of taking on this uh shot at the world record about two weeks ago
1: only two weeks ago (laughs) so he's like thinking to himself ah you know maybe in a couple weeks you guys should all just run super fast on the track in this race um i mean if they were
0: to do this later it just would be more it would be harder to make their schedules work together in that way because we're going to be getting into a season of racing where they're looking at world championships so i'm guessing this would have been like a kickoff to a great season here and it still was just not with the with the time that they were hoping for
1: side note, Another cooper, side note. <laughs> cooper tier attempted to put the team on his back in the anchor leg Having taken the baton with clearly time over what they needed, and threw down a 353,
0: oh, not, which is that's not nasty. that far
1: off of his PRs, <laughs> so he's he, he's out there just cranking, seeing seeing if he can't uh, salvage it for him. Um, Great work, Cooper, and and company.
0: Yeah, and company. Great. They all did great. Yeah. Well, that's it for the World of Running. There's so much more we could cover. That's why every week we talk about the latest that's going on in the World of Running, keeping you up to date.
1: And certainly with that, always remember that we are doing what we can to be helpful to you. And so that's why the questions are important. That's why we love it when you get involved and putting comments on things, sharing your thoughts and experiences and insights so that we can, in return, share them with our audience. And with all of that, if you have not yet found enough in the information provided to get you where you need to go, then let's talk a little more because we would love to certainly support you in ways that can help you further. Mm -hmm. You can find all of that information at adzrunning.com. Look for the word
0: coaching Mm -hmm. or just reach out and send us a note. Mm -hmm. We're so glad you've joined us again on the A to Z running podcast, wherever you are running or wherever you are driving, wherever you are putting us in your ears, we consider it a privilege to be part of your day. So thanks so much for watching or listening and have a great week.